Respect is something that I'll always give, whether I get it or not. We've got this, this great platform that we can stand up for our people and it gives us a vehicle for change. I've got two daughters now and I want to set an example for them. I want them to be proud of me. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Refuse to Lose podcast right here on KO Sport. I'm your host, Jake Duke, alongside one of Australia's greatest ever netballers, Caitlin Bassett. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It is so good to have you in here and just run through your very impressive resume for people that might not be as fully aware of your career. And we were just talking before, and even you didn't really know these <laughs> things. So uh, two-time world champion, a Commonwealth Games gold medalist, former Australian captain, over 100 caps for Australia, and a multiple super netball champion as well. And you play professional netball for 18 years. That is wild. It, it seemed like a blur to you. Yeah, it, it does. And I guess we were laughing about putting things up um, on the fridge and using things for visualisation and goals. And the only time I'll ever acknowledge a gold medal or anything is when I'm chasing it. So I'll write on the mirror um, in my bathroom, like, you know, World Championship gold or Commonwealth Games gold. And that's what I'm always chasing because every morning when I get up and I'm tired and cranky and I don't want to go to training, I'll see that and that's my motivation. But, you know, aside from that, once a competition's happened, I don't often sit back and go, oh, wow, like, that was cool, I won, I won, or maybe we didn't win. Um, it's always just straight away, what's next? What else am I chasing? The funny thing, you mentioned that the last podcast we did with uh, Harry Garside, who's a boxer, he said before he went to Tokyo, he made, got a medal made up. So he got a, a, a Tokyo medal, gold medal, and he wore it everywhere, and he got in the mirror every morning. He's like, oh, I'm an Olympic gold medalist, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. He won bronze, but... He just said that's what he does, like the visualisation thing. So are you, are you big on that too? You... Yeah, definitely. I guess um, I'm lucky to have a few medals in my um, in my trophy cabinet, but I send them all to my parents' house. Um, they've got the shrine, we call it, or my sister calls it. I think she's jealous. <laughs> We've got the shrine at my house, at my family home um, and all my stuff is there. But uh, to be honest, I don't know, like once you've won it once, it's just weird. Like, yeah, I would never walk around wearing a gold medal again, I guess. I think the only time you'd wear it is after an event that you've won straight away. Um, I remember after the Commonwealth Games, I had my medal with me when I flew. To, I went to the airport and did some travel afterwards and some of the hosties wanted to see it. So that was cool being able to pull it out and stuff like that. But apart from that, it's not something that I look at often. Um, and yeah, it's great motivation. I think once you've won something once, the pressure to do it again, because you know how amazing that feeling is to win, um, it, it becomes all-consuming. So sometimes not having that in your face all the time is a good thing, or well, I find personally. Okay, yeah, yeah, take your mind off. Yeah. Well, I want to run through your career and a bit of the highlights and that as well um, on this podcast, but also I want to talk to you about the position that you're in now and later in your career, struggling with injury and in kind of a unique position in terms of a crossroads maybe that your career is at in terms of netball, and um, I'm really interested to hear your take on where you are with that. But to start this podcast, we love to do random questions. Oh, random, first thing that comes <laughs> to your mind. Uh, and I noticed that... Like we're PG? It was like, uh, okay. Look, yeah, PG, M-rated, that's <laughs> okay, all right. That's all right. Uh, all right. So I noticed that you are an animal lover. Mm. I saw on your Instagram. So my question is, if you could be any wild animal for the rest of your existence, what one would you be? Wow. Um, so there is, that's a, that's a really good question. Look, normally I would say like a cat because they get to sleep all day, but there's this um, animal in Indonesia called the luak and they eat coffee beans and they actually make coffee out of the, its poo. So, um, so I would be one of them because imagine eating coffee all day. Like that would be a pretty amazing experience. So that's... <laughs> 
Wow, you must Did you expect that? that? No, I did not. And that was just off the top of my head. That's just because I've got coffee on the brain today, so... I did not expect that. Really? Okay. Yeah, Why? Yeah. What would you be? Oh, I think you... Probably an apex predator, like a one that's just has no. You got no fear, right? Like an yeah. eagle. I'd probably be an eagle. Really? Just chill, hunt. Just eating mice. No, I. Because that's yeah. really what you'd be so eating. You, most you really of, let's be honest. You'd be eating. Yeah, I'm all about. I'm an athlete. I'm <laughs> all about the food. Um, if I was really tired today, I would, and I am, but um, I would probably say like a sloth or something really lazy. But no, I, yeah, it's all about the food for me. I want to be a sloth. I heard that they're being extinct. Oh, they, 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 they <laughs> so do you want to be one of them or not? But I don't think you want to. What about they're... like a unicorn? You want to be something really rare and special, okay, yeah. or who knows? Maybe just a yeah, a mythical creature. Yeah. Okay. What about if you could? Increase mm. a part of your personality or physicality or anything about yourself and decrease a certain aspect of yourself, what would be, what would you do? Oh, um, pers- like, does it have to be, is it physical? Anything like, about I yourself. would like to anything be shorter. I hate being tall. Um, I hate being tall. Yeah, I know that's given me so many opportunities in my career, but it just makes it hard to buy clothes, like, dating, everything is just made so much tougher. Travel, um, yeah, it just sucks. So I would definitely probably take maybe two inches off. I reckon six two would be a good six height. Maybe six okay. one. Yeah, I could still probably wear heels and get away with that. Um, increase something. Ooh. Oh, maybe just like thicker, nicer, longer hair would be great. But um, maybe just like confidence and not giving a shit what other people think. I yeah. think that's probably most people's um, issues is that it's being judged by others. So maybe a thicker skin would be what I would increase. Okay. Mm. If you lost a couple of inches... How does it affect your goal shooting? I thought you were going to say kilos. I was no. like, wow, excuse me. No, I... <laughs> Just because they were talking about weight no, before. No, no, no. Um, no, no would, I, don't, would I think it would make shooting? me more mobile. No, okay. it would make me more mobile. I'd probably be able to jump higher. Um, I actually don't think it would affect me that much. Um, yeah. Were you always tall or did you hit a certain point where you yeah. just got really tall? Like, I think for me, I was about six foot when I was 11. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'd always been pretty tall and that's when I first kind of got picked um, out of the crowd to play netball and one of my coaches at school thought I'd be um, a great netballer, a great defender, in fact, so I proved him wrong. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, like, me, my brother and sister are all quite tall um, and, yeah, I think once I hit probably 15, I was 6'4 and then I just stayed like that from then, so, yeah. I'm kind of jealous. I think I'd rather. Oh, I'll stop with you. I'd like that. I mean, you're not short, but, like, I totally get it. Sometimes I meet short men and I totally look at them and go, we wish we could swap bodies because, you know, like, yeah, I can play sport. I don't know what a short man can do. Wear heels, maybe. Oh, lifts and issues. Lifts and issues, Like, but to be honest, the shorter you are, the more mobile you are, you're a better runner. Like, so many of my uh, challenges as an athlete has come through my body and my height. So sometimes I wish if I was a little bit shorter, if my back was a little bit different, you know, that... I probably could move a lot better. Okay, mm. okay. That's fair enough. Mm. We're talking about swapping. If you could swap, if you had to, mm. swap a life, swap your life with anyone else in the world, whose life would you take? Oh, look, I don't know. It's honestly something I don't think about a lot. Um, if there's a, 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 you know, a celebrity guess, or an athlete yeah. or anyone you, you think lives a cool life. To be honest, I think that um, being famous and, and being really popular and rich is not what it's all cracked up to be. I do a lot of reading on random topics and one of them is about, you know, like once you earn, in Australia it's $100,000, that's like your happiness cap. So anything more than that, you're not actually getting any happier. I think that just means more responsibility, more stress in your life. More money, more problems. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... I, Ah, I don't know. Like, uh, to be an athlete is its the, one of the coolest things in the world. Like, you get paid to do something that you love. Um, 
I would like to be more creative. Like, I'd like to maybe be an artist, but then I think there's a lot of judgment about what art you create. Same with writing. Um, I'm Like, I'm... Yeah, I could be like a Banksy, right? Like not that fun. Yeah. No one knows who you are. Yeah, exactly. Maybe more of a just an undercover, undercover like yeah, real popular person. Yeah, I think maybe just like to be honest, when we travel and we play against other countries, I just always think how lucky we are to have been born in Australia. And it is, it's nothing you can control, the place where you live and grow up and um, the opportunities that we're given and obviously the freedoms that we have here, even though COVID obviously has stopped a lot of that. But um, yeah, it makes me think how lucky that we actually are um, just to be born where we're born. So I, I wouldn't change. Um, yeah, I'm pretty lucky. Amen to that. All mm. right, well, my, my next question was then, if you had to live in another era. Oh, the 80s. The I 80s. love I love 80s music. Like, I was born in 88, so the end of the 80s. Yeah. But I think when I look back at 80s fashion, like 80s, early 90s, it's my jam. Um, I'm a little bit old school in that my parents, when we drove in the car, we had to listen to their music. And so a lot of music and cultural references um, that I love is from that era. So, yeah, definitely. And see you with a perm. Yeah, like a bit of a perm. Like I love like Andre Agassi and the things that he oh, did. Like yeah. you know, like just breaking yeah. out and um, oh, I love watching old movies and seeing like the crazy styles and the hairdos and like the cool clothes. And it's it just seemed like no one really cared. Like you could be individual, you could like create your own space and who you were. And the school I went to when I was in high school was an art school, and yeah. so lots of people there were trying their hardest to stand out from the crowd. And like I just did that by default from being six foot four. And so it was actually really interesting to see other people like pushing the boundaries, and I think that was something that, um, yeah, it was just done naturally in the 80s. Have you read Andre Agassi's book? I have. Yeah. I love it. It's very good. Yeah, it? Yeah. it is. Like, sports books can be a dime a dozen. Like, you just don't know, and sometimes you're like, oh, what's the point? So, like, like, as an athlete, I I think I would lo have loved to be a tennis player. Um, you know, his book, Yelena Dokic's book, you know, there's a movie with um, Serena Williams and her dad and things like that. Like, all those things fascinate me. I think it's such... Um, a bizarre sport in the way that the kids are treated when they're young. And I was really lucky. Like, my parents never forced me to play netball. They loved it. They came down to every game and still do to this day. But, um, yeah, I just think it's like this crazy sport that you can, like, be an individual. At the end of the day, you're standing out there on the court. No one can help you. No one can technically coach you. Like, it's just, it would be just another level being a tennis player. I, I don't I don't like it. Really? It's, yeah, it's too much just on you and, like, all the attention, all the focus. Like, but that's as you good. Said, like because it. if you're good, it means because you've worked hard. And if you're not good, it means, like, you're literally your own faults are there. You can play an amazing game and still lose in netball. Yeah. And you can have a shit-ass game and you can still win. So, like, you know, the team is always there to cover your back. Um, and sometimes the team lets you down when you've been working your butt off. So I think, like, with tennis... It's just, yeah, at it's the end of the you. day, it's you standing out there on your lonesome and you doing battle against everyone else. All right, final one. Uh, a movie is made about your life. Who plays you and what's it called? Do you know what? I often get asked this um, and I said Blake Lively last time because she's one of the taller actresses in Hollywood, yep. but I actually think it's the girl who played Brienne of Tar on Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Gwendolyn, I think is her first name. And, and, well, uh, Gwendolyn, yeah, it is yeah, Gwendolyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So her, it would definitely be her, obviously, just for the hype factor. Um, what would it be called? Oh, who knows? Um... Something really stupid, like uh, Afraid of Heights or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. Okay, I like that. I like that. That always stumps people, yeah. that one, that uh, talking about yourselves and, and thinking of your life as a movie. Mm. All right, well, let's talk about uh, your netball career and, and where it started. You mentioned that 
you know, you hit a certain height and someone thought, oh, she'd be good at netball. Mm. And then by the time you're, what, 16 years old, you're playing professional netball. Tell me about how that came about. And I think you started out like you were playing against Liz Ellis right yeah. straight away. At yeah. 16 years old, she was Australian captain at the time. Yeah, so I guess I was in my last year of high school. Um, I was um, at a like pretty prestigious school in Perth doing a music scholarship. So I like was interested in school and academia as well. Um, but also being tall and obviously loving netball and being, you know, having all this potential, what coaches thought of me. I got put into the Perth Orioles, which was the team at the time from WA, which was in the Commonwealth Bank Trophy. Um, and it's pretty weird. I think if I grew up in any other state, I wouldn't have got that start um, because of the competition. Whereas Perth, um, I was pretty lucky that there weren't any other tall shooters. Um, and so, yeah, my very first season, my very first game I started, I was 16 and it was against Liz Ellis. Um, so, yeah, captain of the Australian team at the time. Um, and I was really nervous, but I had no expectation um, and no one really knew who I was. You know, I was I was young. I was very raw. Um, Perth traditionally hadn't been a very successful team. So I didn't feel like there was this huge weight of expectation on my shoulders to be incredible from the start. Um, but I guess what I was really lucky was the girls who were looking after me, my teammates, because they were at university. You know, some of them had full time jobs. One of them is now the um, the coach of the Australian Diamonds. So Stacey Marinkovic, yep. formerly Stacey Rosman, was the captain when I first started playing playing netball. So, you know, like I had all these role models around me um, who helped look after me and helped edit my homework and would pick me up from training and take me to school and things like that. So I was pretty lucky. When you look at professional netball then Mm. and now, Mm. how far has it come, I guess, in the the skill of the game and but then also financially and and its its reach and its appeal in Australia? How, How much do you think it's grown? Yeah, look, I think the skill, first of all, um, when I first started, there wasn't even a netball shoe. So, like, from a sports science point of view, girls were wearing, like, Dunlop volley, like, you know, just those types of things. We didn't know anything about recovery. We didn't know anything. Like, we we were all part-time, not even part-time athletes. We trained twice a week. We did one gym session. It's completely different now. Um, so, I think, you know, when you can... When people compare players across eras, you actually can't because you'd put a player who grew up in that era and put her against someone now who was 10 times fitter, stronger, faster, who was a full-time paid professional athlete. Like, you just can't compare that. Um, From a financial point of view, uh, my first contract, I got paid $50 um, and I thought I had to pay that money to them. Like, I was a bit confused when I read the contract. Um, And so, you know, now the minimum wage for netball is, I think it's jumped up. It might be just over 30K a season. And so that's in 18 years, it's grown pretty quickly. Um, And it still makes me laugh sometimes when some of the younger girls are kind of a bit blasé or maybe are a bit like, oh, we don't get paid much money. I think, well, you know, like when I was your age, I was getting nothing. Um, And so... I guess that um, that humbleness, that respect and the ability to want to grow the game and make it better for people in the future was something that the older players, you know, did for me in the past because they didn't get paid any money. Um, they were working full-time jobs. Um, they were the ones going out, shaking hands and meeting sponsors, trying to get them to invest in our game. Um, we had one game uh, a month, roughly, that was televised. Um, ABC used to do the tele- television rights. And I remember when I was a young girl, I couldn't just turn on the TV and watch a game of netball. Um, you know, I didn't have access to opening the paper and seeing female role models. If you had asked me growing up who I loved, I would have said Roger Federer. I would have said 
AFL Eagles players because that's what I was subjected to in WA. So, uh, yeah, when I look at it even now, the fact that, you know, netball's moving to Fox and where, you know, every game's going to be televised and things like that, like, it's it's pretty incredible that some, you know, anyone anywhere in the world can chuck on netball and watch it because it was definitely, you know, not that long ago that wasn't available. Yeah, because that's the thing, like, as I said, netball is starting on Fox and the Suncorp Super Netball growing and growing and growing and it's on television, young girls say it, it just drives the sport, it drives, you know, the financial ability of, of the sport and you'll have girls just, you know, that, yeah, that won't ever have to do the, mm. the part-time work and, and all those things, which is which is exactly the way it should be going. And how'd you go against Liz Ellis? Did you, <laughs> did you... Uh, we definitely lost that game. Yeah. I think Swifts were like the reigning champions. Um, I, I, you know what, because of our height difference, I think she spent a lot of time outside the circle trying to pick the ball off before it got to me. But I do have like a, a photo and... Gosh, I look so young. Um, I look terrified, actually, um, of us playing against one another. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, like, what a great story to tell. Like, your first game at elite level and you're playing against, you know, the captain of the Australian Diamonds team, starting in your first game. Like, lots of opportunities, I think. Um, I look back now and I realise I'm so lucky. And I think sometimes now young players look back at maybe my experiences and go, oh, well, she started her first game. Why aren't I starting? She played, like, I was lucky. I played every game that season, my first season. Why can't I do that? Um, you know, like, the competition has changed. Um, competition for positions have changed. And so what someone has done in their journey is definitely not how it needs to be done for everyone. And that if you're not playing every game doesn't mean you're not a great player. That's the strength of the competition, right? Exactly. Like it just gets better and better. That's, yeah. that's how the, the game progresses. So not long after that, you're, you're in the diamond setup. You guys go on to win the 2011 World Cup. And if I'm not mistaken, did you sink the, the winning goal? Am I? Yeah, so that... I had previously missed the goal that could have won us the yeah, game okay. and we had to go into overtime and then... Um, with three seconds to go, my teammate Nat Medhurst had the ball and she passed it off to me and I got a penalty with, like, one second on the clock. So, yeah, I did get to shoot that goal, which yeah. was pretty cool because for that tournament, you know, I was the fourth shooter. I wasn't expected to make it. Um, I'd missed out on the Commonwealth Games in 2010 to Delhi and looking back now, I'm so glad I did. It sounded like just, like, a really tough, games they for everyone. They lost, didn't they? They lost in, they lost in double overtime. Double, I remember yeah. watching that game. Crazy game. Yeah. So really crazy. And not just that, like the living situations, the food, like lots of girls struggled, the heat, yeah. you know, it was a really tough games for the whole Australian cohort. So, um, you know, the next year when I made World Cup, I was kind of like, oh, I'd booked a holiday. Like I had to cancel that. You know, my parents flew over. I think maybe in the rounds beforehand, I got to play uh, a few quarters here and there to rest the big guns. Um, and then, yeah, when it came to finals, I was ready to take my, you know, prime position on the bench um, to watch and cheer the girls on. And um, yeah, we were down by, I think it was six goals at half time when uh, Norma Plummer at the time, the coach, turned to me and Laura Geitz and said, you guys, you going on? And Geitz and I were actually roommates. And the night before we had been um, talking about, you know, how cool would it be if we won tomorrow? And how cool would it be if we made it on court? And, you know, me and her, she got that winning rebound and then yeah. I ended up getting that goal. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Our Cinderella story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Off another... The it's like in the movies. Like, I know. Oh, you're on, you're on. 100%. Yeah, and yeah. then, like, another four years later, we turned to each other and she's the captain of the team and I'm a starting shooter and we're going out to do it on home soil. Like, those type of experiences, I look back now and go, like, it still gives me goosebumps. Like, I watch, I watch the last five minutes of that World Cup final in 2011 
happen and I, it's like I don't know what the result is when I do and I look at myself, I'm like, how did I do that? Like, I would have never taken that shot or moved that way or, like, what was I doing? And at the time, it just felt like everything was in slow-mo. I knew where the ball was going to be. I had complete confidence in my teammates that we would get the ball back when we needed it. So, yeah, like, looking back at that time, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to say you're a part of it. But it's so long ago now, like, what, a decade ago, you know, like kids these days, they they don't, they don't understand. Um, You don't realise and understand. You need to keep telling yourself and reminding yourself of these stories. It was like, but a very, a lot of success early, right? Mm. So you had won two World Cups and you had the Commonwealth Games 2014 there as well, winning gold. Yeah. I guess you're just floating on air thinking, oh, this is, this is just how it is. Like I come in, we just win. We win medals, the Australian team's just that dominant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess. Like, you know, at that time we had an Australian competition. Everyone was fighting week in, week out against one another. We had a really strong squad. We had experienced players. You know, I don't think anyone in that... In, those, in that decade, like, we had a strong 12 and maybe there would be a couple of players come in and out for injury, but we pretty much had, like, the same 12 players that got through that, that era. Um, but, you know, on the flip side at home in Perth, we were, you know... Wooden spooners. Um, so it was, it was, it was crazy um, to go through week in, week out, and lose games, or maybe win a game here and there, and then all of a sudden at the end of the year you go on these international tours, and it's like you have to tell yourself, "Oh, this is what winning feels like. Oh, like I, I can win. Like I believe in myself." So yeah, it was, it was, it was hard, but it was also expected because of you know what had come before us. Traditionally, Australia, you know, has been amazing on the world stage. We're world number one. Yeah, well, talk to me about, then you talk about the disappointment on a, on a domestic level, but mm. then on the other hand, later in your time playing for the Diamonds, coming up silver in, in a couple of big tournaments mm. in the 2018 Com Games and the 2019 World Cup and the, and the Com Games on the Gold Coast too at home, mm. what was that like, the, the flip side of missing out? Yeah, look... Um... <sighs> Incidentally, it coincided when I took over as captain, the, the two silver medals. I didn't want to, want to say anything, but that's your word. <laughs> uh, no, like for me, the lead up to that, uh, the Com Games in uh, the Gold Coast was incredible. Um, I was living in Queensland. There was so much hype. Um, it was so much fun being in the village. It was, uh, yeah, it was just amazing. And then it came down to that last day and that last game. And we weren't expected to play against England. It was supposed to be Australia and New Zealand, but they had had a diabolical series. Um, and so, you know, almost expecting that we should have walked out against New Zealand, all of a sudden we're walking out against England instead. Um, and it just nothing, nothing went to plan, you know. Like from 2011 when everything felt free and I felt so confident, all of a sudden it was like scrabbling, scrabbling, you know, for plays that would normally go our way. Um, you know, the physicality out there was next level. Um, you know, even just the exhaustion of of playing a tournament, like a, a tournament like a Com Games and a World Cup is actually ridiculous. You, you're playing, you know, eight games in 10 days. You're you're going to bed at 2am because you've got a late game and then you're trying to get back up and back it up again the next day. So all of that stuff, plus having your friends and family and, you know, like getting tickets for people, like all those things you don't actually realise take a toll as well. And so after that game and losing by one bloody goal, walking off the court, having a camera stuck in your face, I wanted to be stoic and not really show how disappointed I was, but as soon as I got out of that stadium, I remember sitting down on the court to take my strapping tape off and just losing it because I felt like I was supposed to deliver that gold medal for us, you know? Just tears. It was our, yeah, it was our home 
Capcom games. You know, we'd done it previously. Everything, you know, we had won every tournament going into that. Um, I just felt like I'd let everyone down. Yeah, it's harder to take when you're the captain too, yeah. isn't it? Like. You, you put it on yourself, is yeah. that what you felt like? Yeah, and you've, you're the one that's supposed to stand up during that time. I felt like I didn't really play that well during that last game. I spent some time on the bench, which, you know, is not something that I traditionally had done. And so I was kind of like, like, why? What has happened? Why? And then it, there was no downtime. The next day I was in the swimming pool doing some recovery and the coach came out to talk to me and she's like, all right, next year World Cup. And it was like... That was done. What like what now? So it wasn't even really time to process any of it. Is it pressure? Do you think, or is it like you talked about in 2011 when you're just in that flow state and everything seems to work, mm. and then when it doesn't, and it's I mean athletes spend careers trying to put their finger on why it didn't happen at a certain time. Do you think it's pressure, or is it just something else? Something else in the ether that maybe just is beyond our control. I don't know. I think, yes, it's a little bit of pressure, but then it's also belief. Um, and stepping out on that court, if I looked back, I pr number one, I never in my head thought I wasn't going to win a gold medal. So after that game when we didn't win, I was just, I didn't know how or what to do. I was just at a loss. Um, and it took me a really long time to get my confidence back as a player. I remember, you know, we had... Um, you know, not much downtime uh, until our next series and things like that. And it was really hard just in terms of like, well, you know what, we may have lost that game. We may have won a silver medal, but that doesn't reflect on me and the rest of my career. And, you know, just because we've had this little blip. Um, but I think the hardest thing was the expectation. And it wasn't the expectation of the fans. It was the expectation of ex-players. So the girls that had gone before us and won those tournaments, I think for me it was hardest facing them because I felt like I'd let them down. Like everything was primed for us. Um, we were doing it on our home court and we were supposed to win. Like why didn't we win? And so it was just, yeah, like trying to work out that was, I, don't, I still don't think we've worked out. Well, I have theories, but it's just tough. Do you think about it often? Yeah, 100%. I think about it every time you prepare for the next tournament, you know. When, you know, leading into Commonwealth Games now, what do you think they're going to be showing? The last Commonwealth Games. Who do you think, you know, all the TV packages and highlights and things like that, that's the worst. You're walking in, you know, to their home ground because it's going to be in Birmingham. So it's the UK. Their crowd's going to be there. They're the reigning gold champions. Like, that's when, yeah, it definitely is reminded of it. What's it like on that international level? You mentioned England, New Zealand, such rivalries between those teams. Is it like that, uh, I guess, off the court? You, you know, you see football teams and they don't generally like each other. Mm. They play a contact sport, maybe a bit different, but is there, is there a... <laughs> Do you is think there netball's a, a non-contact sport? No, I mean, I mean a full contact sport. I mean a full contact sport. But, like, is there, is there genuine dislike with those guys or is there a bit more friendly competition? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think since we've had more internationals playing in our league than ever before, you, it's not just England and New Zealand, it's Jamaica and South Africa and Malawi and Trinidad and Tobago. Like, we've all got all those athletes um, playing in Australia now. So I've played with and against so many of those girls. You know, Jeeva Mentor, um, I played against her every single training session um, in the Sunshine Coast and we won two premierships together. And then, you know, she was one of the people in the... England team that won that gold medal so and that's the hardest thing you you're happy for them but then you're not at the same time and it's um it's tough you all stay in the same hotels when you're on these tournaments or you're in the village together and you see each other but you almost have to like shut off that friendship or like when you step out on court it's you just go into game mode and then as soon as that final whistle happens you go back to being friends um but yeah I think we do we know each other's games inside out and that's what's making international netball so tight in the top five countries is that 
there's no surprises. There's video analysis. You play against each other all the time. To beat a team, you've got to do something different or you've got to do something extremely consistently well in order to beat them because every team just knows everything about each other these days. Yeah, and that's because you all play together in the Super Netball here in Australia. Mm. My question is how much has that... I mean, how big has that been for the sport just to have that competition where everyone wants to play in mm. it's just gone to another level since it was inception in, in 2017, I think it was, mm. and you guys went back to back. Mm. Talk to me a bit about the the creation of that competition and what it's done for, for netball. Yeah, so before um, Suncorp Super Netball, we were playing in a competition against the Kiwis. So there was five Australian teams and five New Zealand teams. Um, I think, to be honest, you know, the Australian teams were so strong and so dominant and it really showed New Zealand that, um, you know, they needed to strengthen some of their teams up and things like that. So when the competition finished, we went back to doing our own thing in Australia and they took their own league again. Um, and they had a cap on imports over there, so they only allowed one import per team. Um, and over here, we added three new teams to the competition, so we kind of said, you know, we want as much talent as we want. Um, we want to have the best competition in the world, so we opened it up for everyone. Um, and, you know, if you look back and you look leading up into the 2018 Commonwealth Games, every single English player who was on that court was playing in a Suncorp Super Netball team. Um, you know, look at the, you know, the next year New Zealand beat us in the, in the World Championships. They had had their own competition, which they were developing their own players that were playing week in, week out. Um, you know, you, you have to look at things like that. Yes, experienced players mean so much, but then also players that are just getting court time week in, week out is so important. Um, and so, yeah, I think since... Since 2017, obviously, we've had more and more imports come over. They've made such a huge impact um, on the competition and the level of skill. Um, but also it's meant that lots of Australian players have now um, not gotten opportunities. Our squad sizes have moved from 12 to 10, um, so that's cutting out two players. And, you know, those two players might be, the, you know, the me at 16 that was getting the court time. All of a sudden those opportunities aren't there for them. Um, and due to COVID or, you know, whatever else is happening, there's actually no underpinning competition for them to competing at the moment. So there's actually a huge gap, um, you know, in, into, into where these players are going to get that experience because you can't expect a player to maybe come on and play a quarter, a handful of times during the season and then put them on an international stage and expect them to go against a player who's played every single game for their country since they were 16. I want to I want to talk to you about the imports and that a little bit later because I think it ties in with where your career is at and, and what's happening now with you. So... Talk to me about, I guess, your situation. So from there, you obviously won two titles mm. with the Sunshine Coast Lightning. You ended up at the Giants and then weren't getting much game time there and led you to New Zealand to play over in New Zealand. And that's when injury has become an issue in your knees. Talk me through, I guess, leaving the Giants mm. and then heading to New Zealand first of all. Yeah, so I guess lots of people thought, like, why did I leave Sunshine Coast to come down to the Giants? Um, and to be fair, as Australian captain at the time, I was spending the majority of my time down here in Sydney doing um, stuff in Apple Australia, promotional appearances, servicing sponsors. And so I was exhausted. You know, my one day off, I'd jump on a plane, fly down here, do my stuff, go back, you know. And so when the opportunity came to come down here to Sydney, I thought, uh, I'd had that success up there. Maybe I could, you know, bring it down here to Sydney. Um, the first season I signed here for Giants, I broke my arm in pre-season, so that was a little bit uh, disappointing. Um, and then the next season was when COVID hit um, and I'd done another injury just before COVID. So we had a pre-season match. I'd ruptured my MCL. 
So no biggie. Um, COVID actually helped me out. It meant that the season was pushed back. So I was actually available to play that first game. Um, but we were up living in the hub in Queensland. Um, the rules had changed six weeks before we'd started that first game. And all of a sudden this super shot was brought in, which um, according to our coach, just wasn't the style of play that suited me as a player. Um, I'm a tall posting shooter um, who does a lot of damage underneath the post and all of a sudden goals that were shot from distance were worth two points. So um, I was getting benched, uh, which was really frustrating because, yeah, as captain of the Diamonds, you don't want to be sitting on the bench. And that's what brought me to be like, well, if I'm not getting court time, how am I going to retain my position in the Diamonds? I can't sit on the bench and expect to still be making gains. Um, so I asked for a release for my contract. I had another year to go. Um, and because of that, every other team had already signed their players for the next season. So I knew I was taking a risk and I discussed it with Netball Australia. I said, would you rather me sit on the bench here or would you rather me go to New Zealand and actually play? I can do some scouting. You know, they're world champs at the moment. Um, I've got the opportunity to do something that, you know, not many players are actually able to do. Um, so I went and did that. I went to New Zealand and um, I got into New Zealand with the Australian team because we had some tests against the Kiwis beforehand. And so we flew into Christchurch. We did our quarantine there in MIQ. Um, and the first training session out, I've gone to catch a netball and I've twisted my knee and tore my MCL. So I was devastated, number one, because I was the only capped shooter at the time um, in the team. All the other shooters that we'd brought on tour were rookies. Um, and number two, I'd signed with this team over in New Zealand and I'd hurt myself before I'd even been able to train for them. So I felt this huge amount of pressure. I was like, man, I'm just going to strap it up, we'll inject it. I'm just going to do my best to push through this. Um, and because we did that, um, it meant that I was loading up my other leg so much and about six weeks later into the season, landed awkwardly and did my other meniscus. So, um, yeah, I was just like, what is going on? I'd been so good throughout my entire career with no injuries and all of a sudden I'd gone broken arm, MCL, now two knees. And um, to be fair, I thought I'll come back to Australia, we're going to jab them, both of them, and we're going to push through this tour that was supposed to be in the back half of the year. But when I come, came back to Australia, um, I tried to go to line dancing with my mum. Um, so, you know, like a bit of boots getting line oh, yeah. dancing. Oh, yeah, I was line it. dancing with my mum and I couldn't even do that. I couldn't line dance with six-year-old women because my knees, oh, I was just in so much pain. Really? Were you supposed to be doing it at that point or you just kind of run the gauntlet? Like you shouldn't have been on your moving that much or? No, you like I was, be, or you were fine. I was still supposed to be training. Like, oh, yeah, okay. I was so, fine. So like you, I was. So you'd healed. Yeah, like yeah. I, there was a training camp in Perth. I was in yeah. Perth, like I was ready to go. And so I was just like, I don't think I can do this. I'm like my knees, like I'd gotten so frustrated during the season. I couldn't jump high. I couldn't mm. move. I actually couldn't do the things that I, I'm, I'm known for and so that frustration was creeping in and when I couldn't even line dance with my mum I was like I'm not going to be able to play in a league game of netball I'm not going to be able to play at international level so um, we discussed about having surgery so I had both my knees done together at the same time just to knock down on our recovery time and um, I was in Perth with my family so that was great I was supported um, and during that time recontracting was happening so all the teams all of a sudden had all open positions so I was like sweet I told the New Zealand side they're playing with I didn't want to go back there because I hadn't seen my family all year because of COVID and the borders I wanted to play back in the Australian competition because um, the only reason I'd left was because of lack of court time and not available positions because of contracting so I was like okay cool I was talking to my management group 
sweet, what opportunities do we have? Okay, there might be one here, there could be one here, we're gonna talk to this person, cool, cool, cool. I get surgery and afterwards I'm in recovery and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, there's, there's no contract offers. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, every team is gonna stick with the players that they've had from previous years. And I was like, but why would they do that if they haven't been successful? Like, if you look at the bottom four players, why would you keep contracting the same players? Um, and in all the Australian teams at the moment, every player or every team has a dominant, tall, holding um, style um, goal shooter. Um, and there's only actually one team that doesn't have um, an import in their shooting position and that's the Sunshine Coast, which was where I left. Yeah. Um, and part of the reason I left was because um, I knew Cara Conan, my teammate up there and my friend um, was amazing and she needed more court time. Like I ultimately um, wanted to help grow some more Aussie talent. I feel like it's uh, backfired massively. Okay, so my first question is about mm. the actual game of mm. netball. We see it in the NBA a little bit, the way three-point shooting has changed the whole game of basketball mm. and suddenly big centres aren't as big a thing. Has the two-point shot changed netball that much, in your opinion, or is, it that, is that a perception and maybe it's not the case? Uh, so in my experience, the two-point shot has actually meant that you can perform poorly, but as long as you have a player who can sink some twos, you actually on the score look quite similar. Mm. So um, incidentally, the rules that Suncorp Super Netball play are different from international. So, you know, you're doing something that you're not going to be international. So you could, you could think, oh, my team's great because, oh, we only lost that game by one goal or maybe we won. But if you go back and you take out the two points, you're actually far behind. And then so I think about that computing to an international level. If you're cruising thinking that you're doing okay, that could become an issue. Um, but apart from that, no. Like, I don't think so. Like, they made other rule changes kind of like rolling subs so when the ball was down the other end you can run on and off. But I think, like, for someone um, like such as myself, a tall player, who has been told their entire career, stay near the post because that's where you're most damaging, to then all of a sudden... Um, having to change the rules and be further out um, and even, you know, like thinking during a game, well, oh, we're down by four goals now. Instead of taking this easy shot, which I know I'm going to get, do I kick it out to that person? Um, and they've got a 50-50 chance. I think if you look back statistically, the teams that did the best and the teams that have actually won, they didn't use the two-point shot. So it's still the best teams are the ones that are just nailing it on the one points. Okay, interesting. So mm. it's, a, it's a, a, a weird dynamic that they probably haven't figured out yet. Like what is best, yeah. where does this leave you then? What, what is the outlook for you now having not have a contract, but mm. there's major international competitions coming yeah. up. You've got the Com Games, you've got the World Championships the year after. Do you still hold hopes of playing in those? And, and if so, how do, you, how do you do it? Yeah, I guess like, yeah, if you look at it, I guess across other codes, you know, like, if you had an NRL player that didn't have a club contract, would they still be able to play for the Kangaroos? Like, where are the opportunities going to be week in, week out to, A, get that um, competition, but B, be seen by selectors? Um, I found it hard playing in New Zealand to even just be seen because, um, yeah, obviously coaches and selectors are watching every single Suncorp Super Netball game and not necessarily switching on and or being able to watch games live. I feel like watching a game live is completely different to watching on a TV screen. Um so, yeah, it is very challenging from that point of view. Um, 
I, you know, with my knees and the situation that they're in at the moment, um, one of them hasn't been playing the game. So I had some more injections in, the, in that the other day. I'm not actually back out on court. Um, I was asked by the Sydney Swifts to be a training partner for them, which is amazing. But then also um, the training partners, traditionally the, the kids who are trying to crack it, you know, they're the 18-year-olds that are finishing school or, you know, still living at home and doing that. And it's an unpaid position. So um, to drop back into a training partner position, I think, you know, it'd be great to have um, that training environment. Um, and I definitely need to be doing that if I want to be a chance. But then also I need to make sure that I have a full-time job because I'm living here in Sydney, which is ridiculously expensive. So, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, I'm in a position that no one in uh, Australia netball has ever been in before. Um, because you've either been in the Australian squad and had a, a, had a team or you've retired. Um, and I don't think I'm ready to do that yet. Um, I think, you know, when I was injured, I wasn't playing at my best, and fair enough. Um, no one's actually seen me play Suncorp Super Netball with the super shot. Um, you know, I am a great short-range shooter, but I also can put a long goal in as well. It's just opportunities that I haven't been afforded to, which has been frustrated. How do you deal with this then, having <laughs> been so high in the sport and obviously, yeah, the... There's ego, I don't want to say ego in a bad way, but mm. everyone has an opinion of themselves, especially as an athlete. You have to believe in yourself yes. and how good you are. Yes. How do you how have you dealt with this whole situation from being Australian captain, what, a year ago mm. to now being in this position to not even having a super netball contract and believing that you can still contribute? How have you, how have you dealt with that mentally? Yeah, it's been tough. Like, I've got a great support network and... Um, to be fair, one of the challenging things for me is, um, yeah, is, is the things that I've done and acknowledging the things that I've done and what does that mean going forward? Like, at this stage in my career, I feel like the last 18, 17 years has meant nothing. Like, you're only as good as your last game and clearly selectors or whatever have not thought my last games have been good but don't want to look back to the last game that I was fit, which was my 100th test in Australia where we won the Constellation Cup. So things like that, like I, I, I get really frustrated about because I know my last season um, with Magic wasn't great because I had two torn meniscus. I know my season with Giants wasn't great before that because I sat on the bench the entire time. So for me, it's just hard computing as an athlete. Like I know I'm better than that. Um, I'm a very competitive person. I'm not afraid to work hard. So all of those things I feel like that are in my control now all of a sudden are not in my control. Um, uh, there's not a lot of things you can control as an athlete. You get told what to eat, what to wear, what time to train, how to look, what weights to lift, you know, everything you get told to do. Whereas at the moment I, I'm, I'm floundering a bit. Um, I, I go to the gym and do my rehab, but no one tells me what time to go there. No one tells me really what to do. I've got the Netball Australia's um, medical staff overlooking my rehab, but I don't have like a team that I can go in and train day in, day out with. So it's very unsettling after having so much structure and routine in your life to all of a sudden have nothing. Um, and to be honest, when I was first um, had my surgery and found out that I didn't have a contract, I was really lucky that I was in Perth with my family because I didn't get out of bed for a few days. I didn't like know what to do with myself. I didn't know um, who I was and still sometimes struggle with that. <laughs> Um, because you spent so much of your life um, being told you're a netballer, you're Caitlin Bassett, you're a goal shooter, you're this, but not so much about you're a daughter, like 
um, your sister, like who you are as a person um, and what that means. So I guess the last few months for me have been really, really challenging, but also I feel like it's um, it's been a stage that I've had to go through and what every athlete is going to go through at some stage in their life is working out who the hell you are. Because once you step off the netball court and once you call time on your career, you've got to work that out before you can go into the next stage of your life and be successful. Um, just because you were successful in your sporting career doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful in whatever career you take on next. So it's been really challenging, um, like... Yeah, it's been a really, really shit few months, but every time I feel crap, I just have to remind myself, like, it's better to go through it now than in another two years when I'm 35 um, and older. Um, so, yeah, I at least want to do it now and get my knees sorted while I have the support, while I've got physio paid for, while I've got surgery paid for, because once I step away from the netball court and I have to start financing all my own treatment like that, that would be a bank breaker. So um, I'm just, I guess, trying to focus on what I know. And I know that I'm a great player. I know that I'm a really good teammate as well. That's kept me going for the last few months is having my teammates reach out and tell me that. Um, I'm a good leader, um, regardless of those two silver medals. I know that I'm a good leader in whatever environment I'm in. Um, and um, I know that I'm willing to do the hard work to get back out on court. Um, and I think for my own sanity, I think getting back out on court and playing um, or at least giving it a red-hot crack is going to be what's best for me. Um, if it doesn't eventuate and I can't get my knees right, at least I can say, well, I tried everything. Um, if I hung up the boots now, I'd probably walk away being a bit bitter and maybe as a what-if, what if I tried hard and what if I could have got back out on court. Um, but at the moment, just trying to take back some areas of control that I've probably had taken off me in the last few months is really important. You say you don't want to retire and obviously you want to go out on your own terms, but is it fair to say that you weren't, you're not ready for retirement? Like you, you haven't probably prepared for it in your own mind because it wasn't something that was ever on your radar. Then it's bang, out of nowhere. Mm. It's suddenly being talked about or is at least a, it's a reality you probably now have to face in that it, it's coming mm. sooner rather than later, obviously. But, mm. um, you know, you're now facing that reality that maybe you hadn't thought about ever? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually talked to her about retirement with um, Laura Geitz uh, a few times when I was up in the hub and I was struggling and I, I went to visit her at her beautiful house and I said, I, I don't know whether to keep going. Do I like walk away? I'm really frustrated. I feel like I'm not getting much support. And she said, look, people always tell me you're a long time retired, which is bullshit. Like, I hate being told that. Like, I get it. You're a long time retired, meaning when you hang up and walk away, that's it. There's no going back. But also that some people never get the fairy tale ending. And you look at athletes that finish on the grand final, they finish on that gold medal and they walk out and they go, yep, yeah, I'm done, I'm dusted, I can happily walk away. That happens to such a small, small percentage of players. And the reason why so many athletes think that that's normal is because it's so hyped up. We don't talk about the ones that finish with injury or non-selection or, you know, physical or mental breakdowns or things like that happen. We don't actually have much of that. Well, you know, I only know of athletes that have done it in netball because I've been there when it's happened, but I don't know about it in other sports. I don't know about it in other career paths. So, um, so yeah, and also that stupid competitive feeling that athletes feel within us every single day, that's never going to go away. Like, you know, when people say, oh, when you've lost the passion, that's time to retire. I'm always going to be competitive when it comes to playing a game. Um, you know, I'm always going to want to on game day, like feel that buzz um, and that's never going to die. 
but just because it's there doesn't mean you should still continue playing. And so it is this really tricky part of like when I um, finished, you know, Gold Coast with the silver and then the World Cup silver, I wanted, I was thinking about retiring then. And I talked to a few people and they said, you're not finished. Do you still have the design? I said, yes, I want to finish on the high. I want to finish on those gold medals. So in my head, the last four years, I've been prepping for this Commonwealth Games and this World Cup cycle because I wanted to right the wrongs of what happened in the last World Cup and Com Games cycle. So yeah, it hasn't been something that I had been considering, um, not having these opportunities um, and potentially not having the option to play for Australia because that's always been my focus. Um, I love playing for Perth and whatever club that I've played for, but ultimately playing for the green and gold has always been my dream and I've always done whatever possible to make that happen. When you talked about that difficult time, not being able to get out of bed, you know, questioning everything about yourself or learning about yourself, things that you haven't even had to think of for 18 years, what do you think is the biggest thing you took away from that time? What did you learn most about Caitlin Bassett? I think that people love you regardless of what you do for a job. Um, and, like, I'm really lucky. My parents are in Perth, my sister's in Perth, and I got to spend a lot of time with them when I was rehabbing from my surgery. Um, and, I'm, you know, my brother's in Canada and we still are very close and talk all the time. So I have that really amazing support network for my family that I know, um, you know, I could pick up the phone at any time and they would be there for me. You know, financially, I reckon every single day the last four months while I've been out of work, my parents have called me and said, are you okay for money? And like, I'm really lucky in that regard. And that's helped make things a lot easier for me. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, just knowing that you are a decent person regardless of what you do for a job. And I, I have these little epiphanies. I'll be driving in my car and just go, why, are we, why do we get so caught up about what your job is? Like, why does your job say so much about who you are as a person? Is it what other people think about you? Like, as long as you're okay with it. Like, I remember I had a partner once and I love animals, like you said, and he was American and I said, oh, when I retire from netball, I'm going to be a dog walker. Like, I'm going to live in New York and I'm going to walk dogs for a living. And he said, oh, no wife of mine is going to be a dog walker. And I just thought, like, for some reason, when we meet people, the first thing we ask, what do you do for a job? Like, not like, what are you passionate about? What are your values? Where did you grow up? You know, it's always, what do you do as a job? Because I guess your job is what you spend the majority of the day doing. So you've got to love it. Um, or most people, I guess, you've got to love it. But, yeah, I guess there's that being tied to what you do. And for some reason, I'd like... Yeah, it's really hard to break away from that, I guess. I've been an athlete my entire life. I've never done anything different apart from a few odd jobs here and there. But so much of my life um, and what I see as success is um, wrapped up in what I do on the netball court. Do you think that's common, like for a lot of athletes? I, I, I think it depends on the amount of time they've been an athlete. Like if you've, you know, I think someone told me the other day the average stat of an AFL player is three seasons. You know, like I'm running on 18 seasons now. Like it's been a bloody long time that I've been conditioned to go to the gym, go do this, not have holidays, you know, no, not going out on weekends, travelling, this. Like that's who I've been. It's, I'm stuck in this rut because I've been conditioned that way for such a long time. Um, so I think it might be different if you maybe did it for a few years and then maybe got injured or didn't get the opportunities and you moved on to something else quite quickly. Um, but, yeah, because it's all I've ever known, I think it is. It's um, probably for, you know, professional athletes or people who have earned a ridiculous amount of money, I guess you'd start becoming very attached to that and it becomes part of your persona and who you are, I guess. What would you do? We talked about, you said you wanted, <laughs> do you want a dog walk? Wow. But 
Can we get to New York at the moment? I did. I applied. Yes, we can. We can. Yeah. Yeah. I did apply for a job in New York when I first, okay. um, it was barista job because I love coffee. Unfortunately, I can't get a visa to work there at the moment. So, but I did want to. Um, yeah, look, looking for work is interesting. Um, my resume is netball <laughs> like and it's a very good netball resume i know right but like i one of the part-time jobs i went for was just a cafe down the road here in sydney and i sat down with a guy and he said what's your experience and he looked at my resume and he said oh you played netball and i said yeah and i said oh i've got like a barista course i've done the courses and i'm a bit of a coffee snob so you know just give me some time on the tools and i'll be sweet and he said well what are you doing is it off season i said oh no well technically Pre-season's starting, but I'm not really doing pre-season, if that makes sense. I'm kind of rehabbing, and he's like, well, what about when the season starts? And I said, well, that's not a factor for me because I don't have a team, so there's no real season for me. And he said, well, what are you doing? And a stranger questioning my life choices for a shitty, like, job made me just go, what the hell? Like, yeah, it just made me think, yeah, what are my life choices? Well, why am I explaining my life choices to someone who knows nothing about sport? So that can be pretty challenging. But even the fact that I just have no experience, um, that's what makes it hard. I've done lots of media. I've got my broadcast and journalism degree. Um, and I've, you know, I've been lucky to do so many amazing things. But when it comes time to, oh, we'd love to have you on a weekly show, I'm like, well, I can't because we've got training or we're going to be away. And, oh, we'd love you to do this in the off-season. Well, I don't have an off-season because that's when I go away to play netball for Australia. So it's actually not being able to have those opportunities that have, have put me back sometimes, which is really frustrating. Uh, I, I, but I do have to, like, commend your your work ethic. Like, well, before we were doing, we were talking about what you might do before we started. And you mm. said, I said, oh, why don't you just get into netball commentating, which is obviously a path that so many former athletes take. And you said to me, oh, I don't want, I want to use my degree that I have. I don't want to just take that. I want to, if I want to start, I want to start a producing gig, like a, for lack of a better word, shit kicker producing mm. gig, learning to put together netball, learning about other sports. So that's, I think it's the right attitude to have. And is that something like you, you'll go down that path if, yeah. if, if that's where it leads to, like yeah. if that's what you're going to do? I guess um, I've had a million coffees with a million people. Like, where's the opportunity? Can I have? Can I show you how I can do this? Like, I'm, I've got free time now. Let me come in. I'll work for free until, y you know, I'm good enough to be able to start getting paid. Um, yeah, I'm, I know that I've got to start at the ground up. It just is what it is because I don't have that experience. But I also think from the experiences I've had through netball over the last 18 years, um, say a producing role would be great because I've got so much more insight. I know what it's like to be on that side of the camera. I know what it's like to be on the court. So I think, you know, the ability to be able to create something that's different and completely new, I've got a lot of ideas about because I've been frustrated in the past. Like, well, why are we doing this? And why don't they explore this story? Or um, why are we doing the same thing? We can do this, this and this. And so to be able to talk to other people that can actually make those things happen or to explain to someone who goes and changes rules randomly or goes and does something is that this is how it's actually going to affect the team and the players at the end of the day. So I feel like I've got that insight. Um, I want to do stuff on camera. I love being on camera. Um, but also I'm that annoying person, and this is probably why I've come so far in sport, in that I, I want to be the best. And so if I'm coming up against you in a job. And job. So you're a netballer, you're another netballer mm. and you're coming up against me or maybe you're an, you're, you're an, an NRL player. We've both been elite athletes. Mm. 
the ability for me to be able to go behind the scenes, to be able to edit, cut up the packages, to understand what's going on, to be better, I want to get a job based on that, not just because I've got more social media followings or I'm real popular and the fans love me. Like, I want to do it because I'm the best. And, um, you know, with a lot of female athletes and a lot of females in general getting jobs and equality and things like that, I don't just want to be given a job because I'm a female. I want to be given the job because I'm the best at it. Yeah, and that's a good attitude to have. I want to know... Obviously, you, you got emotional before talking about the situation you're in, but is there anger? Do you feel anger at all about maybe not... Obviously, you can't control the injuries, mm. but the situation where we're talking about imports, we're talking about maybe there's a disconnect between the international level of netball and the super netball where you've got someone who could be in the international system but mm. can't get a super netball. Is, it, are you, is there any kind of anger about where the system might be letting you down a little bit? Um, uh, look, I, I've seen things like this coming for the last three years. So these are conversations that I've been having in the background around players getting opportunities, opportunities for Australian players, um, obviously, as captain of the Diamonds, I want the Diamonds to be the best in the world. So everything that I do is to help the other Diamonds athletes and help push through more talent through the Australian system so we have a bigger pool of athletes to choose from. Um, I want Diamonds to be number one in the world and I want to retain that number one in the world. I want to win Commonwealth Games, gold medals and World Cups. Whether I'm on the court or sitting on the sideline, I don't care. I just want Australia to be successful. Um, I think the word that's been thrown at me so much over the last few months is disappointment. Disappointment? Disappointed? One of those. It's disappointing that you're in this position. Oh, how disappointing it is for you that you don't have a contract. Like, yeah, it's disappointing, but it, it was something that could have... Like, it was foreseeable. Um, is something going to happen now to stop this happening again in the future? Like, is it going to take losing a Commonwealth Games and a World Cup losing a world number one ranking before we start making any changes. Like, um, for me, I guess I hate that word disappointment because it makes me feel like I, I've done something wrong. Like, you know when you're naughty as a kid? Like, I'm not angry at you, I'm just disappointed. Like, yeah. I, I've had no control over anything that's been happening and I feel like I've been saying, we need to be careful of this, we need to be careful of this. What's, what are we doing for this? What are we doing for this? And in the past, and it's just been pushed to the side. So, yeah, it's disappointing. I feel at stages let down um, that someone has given so much, um, I guess, of their life to the sport. It has not been better looked after at times, but then I understand sport is cutthroat. Um, at the end of the day, you want to have the best players, you want to win, people's jobs are on the line, money and sponsorship, you know. Like, I understand coaches who choose an international because they're playing against a team that has another international. So, you know, like, at the end of the day, they want to win so they can retain their job, they want to retain their sponsors. Like, I understand financially how business works, so I get that. Um, but I also look back to the days when I first started where there were so many opportunities for Australian athletes, there were so many of us out there getting court time and it benefited you know, the league that we had in Australia plus the top level. So um, I guess at stages I kind of look back to the past and look back in the past a lot because um, those were great times, not in my career, not just in my career, but for, you know, netball at the elite level in Australia. Talk to me about what you would like to see change then, right? We talk about import players, if there's caps on them or mm. should there just be maybe bigger squads, more... They're, they're, like there was talk about rookie yeah. contracts and, yep. like, allowing younger people to come in... And, like, obviously you're not a rookie, but that might help the fact that if there is rookies in the squad and they've got backup rookie shooters that, mm. you know, they could put in potentially, like, they're more willing to 
bringing in Caitlin Bassett, who may have some injury concerns, but mm. we can we have that backup fallback plan that there are some rookies as well, and that could help. Is like is that what you wanted to see changed? I know that was shelved that plan. Yeah. Like, is, how Look, do you see it? Yeah, I think um, I think like you've always got to go back to to what opportunities young players have, and I've been around for so long now. I've seen the young players come in and they. They bust their guts and, you know, they, they do it for nothing. They do it for the love of the game. They do absolutely everything and they might just be a training partner so they're never going to get the opportunity to play. But where are they then going to play? Like, they want to get to the next level. They're going to have to play somewhere. So I want better underpinning programs. I know COVID has m messed up so many things, so many underage, um, you know, carnivals and competitions have been cancelled. But I feel for some of the young girls that train seven days a week and don't actually get to play a game of netball. Like... Who wants to do that? Like, the fun part of netball is actually playing. It's not about training. So I want to see them get opportunities because, um, you know, there's been you know instances in the last year where there's been an injured player and a young player has stepped in and they've played amazingly and everyone goes, oh, wow. You're like, they've been doing that for the last five years. This is just the first time that they've got the opportunity to do it on, you know, on the big stage. So there's all this talent that are sitting bubbling away. Maybe they're not ready yet but maybe they just need the opportunity. You know, when I was young and I was 16 and I was thrown out on the netball court, I definitely wasn't ready. But playing against the older, more mature girls, that hardened me up, that toughened me up, and that made me better. So I think those opportunities for girls to actually be getting court time and getting on, and not just a lazy five minutes if your team's up by 20 goals thing, like putting them on and backing them in and giving them that experience. And you might not win that year or the next year, but keeping them together and giving that confidence and putting your faith in them that they are going to be a great player, I think then brings that loyalty back as well to teams. Um, I think we can probably have a few more teams in our competition. We've got eight teams at the moment. Um, I think you could squeeze out nine or ten. Um, and there's I, not really a, a premier second to your competition no, at the moment, is there? No. And that's, that's a massive... Yeah. Yeah, so age. like for me, if I want to play yeah, this year, I've got to play uh, Premier League here in New South Wales. Yes, yeah, so you've got to play yeah. like basically local, yeah. is it local league, yeah. right? And you, from there, could all things going well, you're fit, playing Premier League, and then the Diamonds could say, yep, she's in, she's coming to the Com Games with us. But there's no second tier competition for you yeah. in the professional. Like that seems like there's a a gap in the market mm. there, right? But is that has that always been the, the thing or is that, no. is that a COVID problem? No, yeah. I think there was a there was a competition called Australian Netball League, ANL, which, um, which uh, yeah, like your training partners or maybe girls that didn't get court time um, would drop back in and play and they would travel, like, so, like, Lightning always had um, the team that travelled with us as well. And after the game, if you didn't play, you could choose to play um, with the other girls. And that's how lots of teams picked up talent. They could coaches could stay and watch and, and things like that. Um, and so, you know, putting funding back into that I think is really important um, because the gap between, you know, a state league level competition, that's not going to prepare me to play in the international level. Um, playing against girls who uh, maybe not as experienced, don't have as much body control, like I feel like that's going to set me up for more injuries as well. Um, even training environments, you know, making sure I'm getting the right training environment. Um, I'm considering, you know, when I'm coming back training with one of the men's sides down here because, um, you know, they train in after hours time so I'd be able to work and then go to training but also, you know, the level of physicality, the, the skills that they have, you know, their vertical elevation, that's all things that are going to challenge me as a player as well. Okay. Yeah, okay. Mm. That's crazy, but they, you have to go maybe play against in the men's competition yeah. just to even get that. Yeah. I bet you'd school them probably too as well. Wouldn't you? Yeah. No, they're amazing. We always play against the men in tournaments, um, like in the lead up to, 
to big tournaments because they're so good. They're like they can jump so high and run so fast. I can't play how I normally play against the men because they reject my shot. Like you can't put a high ball in. They can jump higher than you. So it is. It's really challenging playing against the men. They're amazing. Okay. Oh well. Yeah. I have played a game of netball in my life and I was not very good. No. It's a... <laughs> Let me guess. Defender. Yes. Yes. Did defend. And I didn't like that. I didn't like trying to having to predict where yeah. someone else is going and yeah. like it's it's hard to do. It's yeah. really hard to do. Like yeah. you'd rather be the person who's just. I like you moving yes. for the ball, yeah. and they've got to they've got to adapt to you. Which yeah. I mean, that that always seems like the go. Mm. So, where does the next six months a year go for you now with your career? What do you look to do? How do you progress with everything that's going on? Yeah, I am a little bit torn. I've kind of got like one foot on either side. Um, I am obviously doing everything to get my knee right. I'm, I had some more injections and I'm going to be trying hard to get back out on court in January. Um, not sure who with yet, but getting back out on court. And I think that'll tell a lot. Like if I can jump and move the way I want to on my knee, I'll keep pushing um, because... You're a long time retired. Um, and I'm still in the Australian squad. Um, but then on the other side, I want to take back control of my life and start setting myself up here in Sydney and, and get a job and, and start, you know, a new career. But I worry while I'm doing that, maybe something will happen over here and someone will get injured or pregnant and there'll be an opportunity for me and I won't be able to do it justice. Mm. So it's really hard. I think I still go to the gym every day, just for my own mental sanity. And um, once I get back out on court, obviously that's going to be a huge focus for me. But I guess in the meantime, if I can, yeah, just start doing some work. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, just um, do everything possible, I think, to get my knees right is probably the first thing because I want to be able to live a happy and healthy life. I want to be able to get in and out of the car. I want to boot scoot with my mum again. So, yeah. yeah. That's what's important. I know, that's, right? That's what's that's important. That's the goal. <laughs> that's the well, obviously, yeah, you, you go with the knees. You, they make the first decision for you, right? Mm. And then you go from there and, and just progress and, you know, obviously tick every box and, and look, the decision will be made for you either way and then you mm. can move on with peace. Uh, in terms of the girls, like I, I've been speaking to a few of the netball girls recently, um, with Fox Sports News and stuff, and there's a jam-packed international schedule. Like, as we said, they've got the Quad Series, but then they go to the Com Games, they go to uh, the World Champs after. Like, where do you think the team and the squad is at in terms of winning back those tournaments moving forward? Do you know what? I, I'm i on 102 tests for Australia at the moment, and if COVID hadn't have happened, I would have beat the record for most tests played, which is frustrating because that's what I wanted to do. Um, Who owns it? Liz. Um, Liz yeah. yeah, so I, that was my goal and that's what I was, you know, building towards if I'd have played Com Games, I could have chose World Cup or not, like would have been set. So that's really frustrating. I feel like COVID has really stripped everything away um, from Australia internationally. We did get over to play New Zealand at the start of this year, um, but then all the tests in the back half of the year got cancelled. Um, in the meantime, New Zealand got to play against England. England have been playing against Jamaica. South Africa have been playing tests. Like Everyone's been playing tests and we've just been stuck in lockdown land in our own country here. So that's been really frustrating. I don't even know. Like, there's girls who have played maybe one test for Australia or none who are in this touring squad going over to January. And so I, I, I can't even tell you, I didn't go to the last camp because that's when I was getting surgery on my knees. And I didn't go to the camp before that because that's when I just finished up in the hub and I needed to get back to Sydney because I'd been away for three and a half months. So 
I, I honestly can't tell you. Like, this tour in January is going to... It's going to be massive because it actually doesn't leave you a lot of time before Commonwealth Games. Like, you don't have much time to... Well, you don't get any more time together. You do that series, you come home, you'll start pre-season or finish pre-season, you'll play four or five rounds with your club and then the team will get selected... And then at the end of the t year, you like in July, as soon as the season finishes, you'll go away. So it's not a lot of time to to make huge gains. Um, you know, everything needs to be getting together now, basically. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot to, to fix and get mm. ready before then. And really hope to see you out there performing for the Diamonds and really hope the girls go well regardless as well. And um, good luck with everything, with, your, with fixing your injuries and... Where you're moving to in the next part of your career it's uh, like obviously not the ideal situation that you've been in but i think you've handled it incredibly amazingly and <laughs> like, such a great attitude it's so good to hear and, and thank you for sharing with us today and being so honest i think it'll be inspiring for a, a lot of people that you know they're, they're at similar crossroads whether it's professional sport or anything in life mm. right like it's people make transitions and change every day we do like to finish this podcast but with a few more random oh, questions okay uh so I ask every athlete this, and athletes always have the strangest ones, but do you have superstitions before you play that you have to do? A nap. I'm a game day napper. Okay. Yeah, and I have a coffee before my nap. So That's, because it takes caffeine about 40 minutes to kick in, okay. so if I have my coffee, I won't sleep for too long because I can get caught up in having, like, an hour nap which goes longer. Yeah. And on game day you don't have a lot of time. So I'll have my coffee, have my nap, and then uh, then I'll start, like, waking up and then by the time it's like get ready for game I'm a bit buzzy and good to go okay mm. I'm not a napper when I wake up from a nap I feel like I've been hit by a truck yeah but if yeah. you have a coffee have beforehand you have a coffee? okay you yeah. all right all right there you go there you go that's yep. a pro tip yeah kids mm -hmm. what <laughs> kids, <are> kids? <laughs> um so if you're marooned on a desert island mm. right and you've got all the food and water and shelter that you need mm. so all the essentials what are the three things that you're taking with you Ooh, I guess my animals, number okay. one. They are like endless entertainment for me. For some reason, I... Just run us through the animals. Okay, so got. I've got Chino, the Bernese Mountain Dog. He's about 60 kilos. He thinks he's about six kilos. He lays on you. I've got two rabbits, one gigantic Flemish and one little fluffy uh, cashmere. He's a cashmere lop. And I've also got a cat. So they all coexist quite harmoniously in my house. But seriously, between all of the animals, so like Lulu the cat... Follows me everywhere. In bed, she jumps up on you. So she's quite time-consuming. I'll often play with her. The rabbits I let out or I'll take them out places with me. They're heaps of fun. The dog pretty much comes most places with me. So between all of them, they would be very distracting and good, like, you know, time wasters. Island buddies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I could take them for a walk. The rabbits would love digging in the sand. Lulu would probably just hide up a tree. It'd be great. And you, you were saying that the... Blind big rabbit is yes. the alpha apex predator. Yeah, well, it's quite funny. Um, I make stupid decisions when I have injuries, okay? So it hasn't... Well, I don't know. I so don't most know people, like, when they yeah. drink, but yours when no, you have injuries. No, yes. So yeah. I, got the, I got the cats. So there was two cats. There used to be two cats. Um, they were rescue kittens, and I got them... I was concussed after a netball game. I didn't realise. And I went to the pet shop to get dog food, and the two kittens were there. And I said, oh... And the lady said, oh, they've been there for ages because no-one wants a bonded pair. And I went home, and I was like... To my boyfriend, I just started crying. And it's because I was concussed, and I had no clue. Yeah. But he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, the kittens, no-one wants them. And so then he went and got them for me. So then we had the kittens. And then 
I got big wee-wee when I first moved to Sydney and I didn't have any friends, I didn't know anyone. I had recently been living in Queensland where rabbits are illegal, so you can't have them. Really? It's a $44,000 fine if you're you get caught kidding. with a rabbit up in Queensland. Do you, you drive across the border, or you would see the sign when you drive to the Gold Coast I, yeah, next yeah, yeah, yeah. and it has a rabbit with a cross through it, no rabbit. I've never seen the rabbit yeah. sign. No. So I couldn't have, I had rabbits in Perth when I moved up to Sunny Coast, I couldn't take the rabbits with me. So when I first came down to Sydney, I was like, I'm getting a rabbit. I was just about to go on Aussie tour. I had this guy in Gumtree, said, yeah, yeah, I've got some, come pick. And I said, oh, I like that one. And he said, yeah, no worries. And then I said, if it's still there after tour, I'll pick it up. So I came back in two weeks and it was the only one left. No one wanted it. It's because its ear was twisted. And because of that, it must have had something wrong with it. Like when it was, it was yeah. one of 12. Yeah, okay. When it's supposed to be squished in its yeah, mum. So yeah. it was bl it's blind. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't care. Like, oh, of course I want it. And then, so that was another stupid decision. And then the last rabbit was when I did my MCL at the start of lockdown. And I was sad and I just wanted just, a pet to play with. <laughs> I can't believe that rabbits <laughs> are illegal in Queensland. I know. Did you not? No, no? did not okay. know that. So I, I, I feel like you get less of a fine so, for like having a gun or something like you know what I mean like so when I moved I almost didn't sign my contract to move over to the Sunshine Coast start because I didn't want to not take my rabbits over and the when, rabbits. <laughs> yeah I had rabbits in Perth when I went over there the first thing oh, I yeah. did was look up how to get a magician's license because that is the loophole so I was legitimately <laughs> going kidding. to have magic shows on court after a game just so I could have rabbits in Queensland <laughs> can you do any card tricks or you got anything no no so you can no. have rabbits if you're a magician. magician that's the loophole. And you've got to have a license to, to be a magician. You have to have a license and you have to prove that you do like X amount of kids shows and stuff like that. You can't, it's, it's very strict. That might be mm. the strangest thing mm. I've heard about Queensland. Yeah, there you go. Like I think daylight savings and the cows and stuff, that's <laughs> weird, but the rabbit thing might be yeah. weirder than that. No, right? Wow. Okay. Mm. Well, that leads me to my next question. Hidden talents. <laughs> Obviously not a magician. Not a magician. <laughs> um, look, I'm a great sleeper. I can sleep okay. anywhere. Anywhere, um, anytime. Because I'm really tall on a plane, I'll often sleep with my head down. And yeah. I was in the emergency room last night because I um, cut my thumb open and I needed stitches. And I was waiting. I was two in the morning and I was kind of like in this fetal position on my legs like folded over like a sandwich basically um, on the massage table I'll fall asleep Sleep. if we do video analysis and it's a bit dark in the room I'll fall asleep I'll fall asleep anyway that is yeah. that's that's a talent and it's a handy talent it is when you need like a quick power nap but if it's an important meeting like I fell asleep in a oh, work yeah. meeting once I used to work for Nova in Perth and we had a meeting and they were showing us something on the big screen and I was doing this uh, and so it's not great I you got to stand up do, and walk do you around. get it on your drive I've got a mate mm. who's similar he'll oh. fall asleep anyway and he will like he has to pull over, has to have a 20-minute nap and yeah, can fall asleep driving. There's been a couple of dicey yeah. instances, but mainly. But if I'm the passenger in the car and you're driving, I'm out. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. I fall asleep yeah. in the passenger seat. Do you have a quote you live by? Um, oh, there's like uh, probably two. Like the harder you work, the luckier you get. Like people growing up always said like, oh, you're so lucky to play netball. You're so lucky to be an athlete. I'm like, yeah, I am. But also I make so many sacrifices and I work my butt off. So for me always, if I wanted something, I knew if I worked really hard for it, it was more likely to happen. Um, and the other one, which I remind myself a lot of at the moment, is that life is tough. Like instead of sitting back and go, why is this happening to me? What, like, you know, like just being down on yourself. I just think as soon as you accept that life is tough, um, it just... You just get over it and you just start dealing with stuff. So, yeah, it's not meant to be easy. Yeah. So what would be your advice as the last question? Mm. Like to future generations, young netballers, any young girls, young mm. boys, 
what would be the advice that you'd give to them just looking ahead into life? Um, so I heard something interesting that Nat Fife, um, obviously I'm more of an AFL girl, yeah. um, said the other day and he said, if you want something, you have to wholeheartedly go after it. And I believe in that, you know, when I left Perth originally, like it was huge. I left my comfort zone. I, I was joining a brand new franchise. I was, you know, I was doing the dirty on the team that I'd grown up with basically, but you can never look back. And if you want to do something, you want to chase something. And this is my focus with my knee at the moment is you just got to wholeheartedly do it. Um, it might not work out, but it doesn't matter. You just got to chase it. And then you can walk away knowing that you've done absolutely everything to make it happen. So yeah, like if you're passionate about something or you're unsure uh, about anything in life, just giving it a red hog crack and not giving yourself any excuses. Like, oh, I wanted to do it, but it was too hard. Or like, oh, I couldn't afford to do it. Like if you want to do something badly enough, you'll find a way to do it and put everything into it. If it doesn't work out, so be it. At least you can walk away with your head held high knowing that you've done absolutely everything to make it possible. Well said, well said. Caitlin Bassett, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing sure. your experiences and inspiring and, and showing that, yeah, you can achieve anything and put your whole heart into it and nothing else really matters. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for listening, guys. We've got plenty more episodes coming your way very soon. Don't forget to follow the Refuse to Lose podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to talking to you again soon.